Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. Up to the nine foot homemade oak bar for yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Craig. This is Bucks in the Basement. For fans, by fans, 30 minutes of Pirates talk. Lots to get into. Contreras is down. Reynolds is injured. Draft is coming up. Well, I mean, I think the, the Contreras stuff is you know, kind of on everybody's mind. I know the injury to Reynolds is newer, but just to kind of get the Contreras stuff out of the way. And before the show, Chris, we were talking about like the evolution of this uh Contreras did not make the opening day roster and I, I don't know if a lot of people remember that because he was up so quickly after that Dwayne Underwood Jr. Uh, had like a hamstring injury during one of the first couple games and he was brought in in relief went down then came back, then got built back up as a starter, came back up, and now the Pirates are saying that they're building in, and they had built in a break because, Chris, as we know, he did not pitch that many innings last year, didn't pitch anything in 2020, and was also kind of injured last year. So I don't really see this move as that much of a surprise. No, I'm okay with the move. The move is fine. Look, there are teams that are currently competing for playoff spots that have pitchers that have a ton of talent that they really would love to run out there every five days. And the guy's dealing with a dead arm or the guy didn't pitch very many innings last year. And so they expected this to happen and they're just trying to limp their way to the all-star break and then rearrange their rotations to give a guy an extra week or two off. Every team deals with this. The pirates have the luxury of not being in a playoff chase and being at hopefully what is the back end of their rebuild. And it's time to make sure that your stars of the future are perfectly brought along so that when it is time for them to go out there and pitch over 200 innings and be the top end of your rotation, they're ready. And you didn't do anything stupid, like hurt them along the way. So no, I'm, I'm totally fine with this. He's not doing anything otherworldly either. It wouldn't be the worst thing in the world for him to get a little bit of a break. I mean, the whip is over 1.30 now. I think it's a 1.38. Uh, it's not like he's like an unhittable Jacob deGrom type guy, like if deGrom wasn't injured all the time. Or, or you know, like what Max Scherzer's doing since he got back or uh, some of these other pitchers. That, he's, not, he's not at that level yet. That's what you want him to be eventually. I, I don't see any benefit, even if he was chugging along, I don't see any benefit to having him out there right now. And I and I find it interesting that people are like, oh, this is going to affect his Super 2, or this is, a, this is a way for them to get more control of him. Good. That's what you want. Anything that gives you more control of young players while you're sitting around wasting seasons trying to build your team back up is a good thing. 
I never under I will never understand fans that are arguing in the idea of I want to lose this player a year earlier. Okay, I, I support fully teams using the rules that were negotiated in a collective bargaining agreement to build the best team possible to try to win championships. I support that completely. And of course, he had like one of his best outings of the year versus the Reds. Got option down like in between the games. People are obviously going straight to Twitter and saying he's, you know, now losing the opportunity to make, I think it was around like $85,000 by the time that he, you know, could be set down for, I don't know, man. Who cares? Listen, listen, it's not your money, folks. And he's going to make a million or two very soon. He's Trust me, the kid's got talent. He's going to make money. This is how the game's played. I, I just don't get this. Look, there are too many people that have Twitter accounts that are looking for an argument every day. They wake up every day and they find something to be upset about. They're the people that, let's say, go into a, a Twitter feed of something in which maybe 2,000 people liked what the author had to say, and they're one of the four people that say that the author is stupid. Why? Because they just like arguing. Who cares? $85,000 is a drop in the bucket in the long-term financial possibilities for Rowan C. Contreras. And sure, he doesn't have a ton right now, but I would change right now, instantly. If you came to me and said, Chris, you can give up all of what you've built in your life financially to have that arm, that potential, and lose out on the $85,000 because they want to they wanna get you ready for the long term and a big career where you're going to make millions upon millions. It's beneficial to Contreras, too. It's like an investment in himself. To give, him, to give him a little bit of rest right now, okay? Think of the millions he loses if all of a sudden he hurts himself or if he doesn't develop on the proper track. So I, there's there's two sides to that argument, right? I mean, some of us sit there and say, oh, well, well, this is a dollar figure we can see right away. So this is obviously wrong, and I, I, I'm indignant, and I'm upset because I'm, go- I'm just looking for something to be upset about today. But think of the money that he loses himself if he isn't handled properly years and years down the line over his career. You don't know what his opinion is, too. They might have sat down and explained it to him, and he might have said, yeah, that makes sense. Okay? Until he comes out and says, I'm angry, I don't know why anybody else is angry. Yeah, and I think it was last year, uh, John Baker, basically our, our minor league director, he's got, I keep on saying he's got a title that I can I, I can never remember. He's pretty much the, the Ben Charrington of the minors. He talked about, you know, finishing a season strong as opposed to you know, ending a season early. They liked for a guy to finish out the season and start into a, you know, off-season routine as opposed to shutting down early, which if that's their take and their stance on this and they were going to limit his innings anyway, then, yeah, it kind of does make sense that you would shut him down to a degree at this point in time to be able to get him back on a regular routine and then hopefully start him you know, off at the beginning of the season next year. I actually like that philosophy, right? I mean, like, think about this. It, it, let's say you're the player. I mean, and all these players, they're just people. I, I know we we trade them in our fantasy baseball leagues and we we watch their highlights and we pour over their stats and, you know, we see the little videos that are put together by the team that make us uh, feel more connected to them. They're, they're just people, right? And everybody has doubt 
and fears and worries and and they have to you know you got to build up enough confidence to go stand out in the, on a mound in the middle of a stadium with thirty thousand people that react to to every noise that you make. Like I was just at like an event in a park where there was like a softball tournament going on, and the championship game may have had about three thousand people there. And here's some guy who's just some middle aged dude that's got three of his kids in the crowd. And he's out there playing and he makes a mistake on the base paths and he gets booed mercilessly by his neighbors. Like that. I was like, wow, that's that's rough, man. I mean, he's just just a dude who's playing like his kids were proud of him. Now, now they're not as proud of him because they just watched all these people just boo the guy because he made just a mistake that, you know, I see I see professional baseball players make all the time. These people are still human. And. I think that it's a big psychological boost for a guy to play through the end of the year, not feel like he couldn't finish a season, to erase that doubt because he ends on a positive note, and be able to walk right in and start his his offseason workouts. I think that's a great thing. So I, I like that philosophy. I think more teams should do it. All right? I, I'll drop back on a team that we, we – uh, we've looked at a lot of teams, Craig – We've looked at how the Cubs rebuilt and the Astros rebuilt, and we've looked at also some failures. I mean, the, the Brewers never made it to the promised land, but they try to rebuild. The White Sox are in complete disarray right now. All right, they're under 500 after all that rebuild and all that hype that they had. And you look last year, that team had Carlos Rodon, who had not pitched an awful lot of innings, who they saw him get hot early in the year, and they were actually in a pennant race. And there were a lot of people that yelled, you know what? You're going to have to give this guy a month in the middle of the season if you want him for the postseason. But they didn't do that. So when he got to the postseason, he was done. He was an absolute disaster. They they lost one of the guys that they really relied on. When he came out in his playoff game against the Houston Astros, all he could do is throw fastballs. And, and eventually all the Astros did was sit on it. His arm was just gone. And then the White Sox lost confidence in him, so they didn't even give him a qualifying offer. You know what he's doing for the Giants this year now that he's fully rested? He's killing it. All right? Teams that don't do what the Pirates do have seen failure. So before you get upset with what the Pirates are doing, understand there are teams that have done the opposite and have seen failure right there on your television for all to observe and, and see. I mean, it's I can't see it going negatively instead of just throwing a guy out there and, and getting him injured or getting him a dead arm or, you know, losing some confidence or whatever it would be. Although I will say it's pretty funny that Rodon's wife just goes out there and like, she just takes on the media because the dude doesn't even make the all-star team. I freaking love that. She's one of the best follows on Twitter. I think her, I, I've, I've followed her Twitter account before just because it's funny. And what it says is I tweet every five days. She, she sits during his game and she will put up the, uh, the pitch, uh, the pitch zone. And she'll show balls that or strikes that were called balls and she'll rip on the umpires during her husband's game. She talks Dude, garbage hysterical. throughout the entire thing. It's absolutely hysterical. All right. I mean, that's a ride or die chick right there. She's a she is a fun watch. OK, I think the Pirates would be well served if all of a sudden they had a player on their team that had that had a wife that was sitting in the stands tweeting every five days like that, because it is it is really, really entertaining. Let's let's talk real quick about Brian Reynolds here because he gets injured. And what sucks about that is, you know, we saw him have the slow start to his season. And then we see him just start going here in the in this in this later part of his his season to date. In, in his last 28 days, hitting 289 with a 920 OPS. In his last 14 days, hitting 333 with an 1110 OPS. 
And now all of a sudden the poor guy is injured and on the shelf. I hate that. It's it's terrible. You know, I mean, he was hot. He was red hot and that sucks. All right. I mean, you got to take care of him though, because he's in the long-term plans. Do you think the pirates though would actually entertain trading him? Cause I know they came out and they said, well, we've heard these offers about Bednar and Reynolds and there's nothing that would make us want to trade them. But that could also be a negotiating tactic. That, you know, I do that in my fantasy baseball league, too. Ah, you know, you guys all want this guy, but pff, he's way too valuable. You're going to have to knock my socks off in the hopes that you get a better offer. So which do you think it is? They wouldn't trade him? Or is there always a price for any player if somebody comes along and offers the world to the Pirates right now? And there's always a price. I mean, everybody has a price. That's I don't know what movie that's from. Or- million Dollar Man. It's the Million Dollar Man. Okay, Ted DiBiase from the '80s WWF. That's what that is. Okay, okay. He even had a song that said, "Everybody's got a price." This is what I remember from my childhood. All right. <laughs> the, the, the king of useless knowledge here, but yeah, I mean, everybody's got a price, and I mean, they could come in with that, and and it does stink that that he's injured. It's that oblique that kind of came from out of nowhere because all of a sudden he was taken out of the game and people are like, Oh God, Brian Reynolds hug watch. You know, it, it kind of comes out that he has an oblique. There's been guys. I think they say the average recovery time is around four weeks, uh, 28 days, depending on the severity guys come back sooner. Guys come back later, but for Reynolds, the, the big part is, is that he was finally getting his timing down. Now he's going to have to get his timing back. But I think he will because he's shown he can do it before. You know, that's the one thing that you look at from players is that for a long time, Brian Reynolds hadn't struggled. He never struggled. He went to Vandy and didn't struggle. He flew through the minors and didn't struggle. He came in as a rookie and didn't struggle. He struggled in that 2020 season and came back and was an all-star. He struggled for these first two months and came back and showed that he could get his game back again. So, I, I mean, I'm not as worried about that. And like I said, Chris, dude, everybody's got a price. Well, you know, I'm wondering what their price is for Jose Quintana. I know we talked a couple of months ago and I was like, well, if he's still just an absolute stud, I'd extend him. But if somebody came along and gave me something good for him right now, I'd move him. And I just saw MLB trade rumors had put out like their list of interesting people that might get moved before the deadline. Uh, Quintana is a 1.31 whip. He's got a 3.33 fielding independent pitching, and his actual ERA is 3.59. He's a good pitcher, and over 17 starts, he's given you an awful lot. But at age 33, this is the best season he's had since 2017. If you were getting 2017 or 2016 or 2015 Jose Quintana, I'd say extend him. This, though, I think, is the light bulb getting bright before it goes out. And if you can get something right now, get it. That's my opinion. I, I was I was on that, that bandwagon of, hey, maybe we should sign him and have somebody as like an anchor. But I look at it now and I go, I think this is the light bulb just getting a little bright before the end. I would deal him. Yeah, and I kind of look at like the innings pitch because that's what we're, you know, the maybe the theme of the the show here to a degree is, you know, he's got 85 and a third innings. He only went, God, how much did he do last year? 63 innings at 2020, 10 innings. And it going back to 2019 was the last time he was like around like 
you know, 171 right. innings. It's right, he's going to run out of innings. Like, deal him now because I'm telling you. I mean, look at this guy. 10 innings in 2020, 63 in 2021. Okay? He, he's, he's going to peter out. Deal him before somebody figures that out. Right? I mean, like, my smart money would be on the fact that Jose Quintana is not going to turn in 170 innings this year. That that the value is going to drop off, and you'd have to, you'd have to shut him down anyway before the the year ended for his own good. And then you're sitting around going, "Well, uh, do we re-sign him in the off season?" So, like to me, if somebody if you were able to orchestrate something for him, I'd make that move. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, we talked about the return for Tyler Anderson last year, a Carter Benz, you know, Yohin Tejada, you know, just a kind of like a lottery ticket type thing. Hopefully they could work it into being something that, you know, not somebody that's major league ready, but maybe a little bit closer. I think you get more, and this is why. I think you get more because the lockout hurt pitching this year, and teams have all kinds of holes in their staff, and a lot of pitchers have had a hard time going more than six innings, and the workup was not the way it should have been, and it affected pitching throughout the entire league, and I think Quintana... And any pitcher that's on the trading block is is worth a little bit more because of the stress on everybody's staffs in 2022, more so than any other year because of the way the season started and because teams that are trying to go for it are like, we need a couple more arms here because we don't know how long these guys are going to hold out. And we've got guys with all kinds of little nagging injuries. I think he's worth a lot more this year than he would have been with the exact same stats in any other year recently. I hope you're right, Chris. I know I'm right. What the heck? I'm super confident <laughs> over here sitting at my bar with a beer in front of me. Let's talk draft. That's next right here on Bucks in the Basement. Are you or someone you know looking to learn how to play a musical instrument this year? Then you should be checking out Westgate Music School. Private music lessons for all instruments, including guitar, piano, drums, voice, bass guitar, violin, banjo, ukulele, and more. Are you a vocalist? Are you ready to play a musical instrument and looking to join a group? Westgate Music School offers group classes for rock band, acapella vocal, and barbershop quartet. Plus, it's all online. That's right. From anywhere in the country, you can learn any instrument you want with Westgate Music School. Gift certificates for Westgate are also available. More information, westgatemusicschool.com. Bucks in the basement, bringing back Joe Doyle from Prospects Live um, at Joe Doyle. MILB caused a little bit of waves on Pirates Twitter the other day when he put out Mock Draft 4.0, and we're going to get into that. Joe, how you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. Thank you for uh, inviting me back onto your show. It's always a pleasure doing Bucks in the Basement each year, and I'm looking forward to this one as well. It's a little bit different this year, and we were trying to figure out, is it like because it's not Ben Charrington's first draft, because the Pirates aren't picking first? Um, of course, there are some some people out there that are, you know, huge draft nerds, I guess, or buffs or whatever it would be like myself that are looking at all these players, reading all the reports. But I really haven't even seen the discussion that much. And it's almost like people are kind of forgetting that the draft is coming up here pretty soon. Yeah, man, I think it sneaks up on everybody, uh, especially with the na- the way that the, uh, you know, the new the new setup is is here. We got the draft taking place. The same weekend as the home run derby and the all-star game and 
I think when you when you look at you know ESPN coverage and MLB Network coverage, and you kind of I guess buffer the draft over with some of those key events, uh, sometimes it can take a little bit of a backseat. But I mean, in terms of Pittsburgh, you know. The Pirates had the first pick last year. Maybe there's a little bit of a, a lull from that, you know, hype, that excitement. But I mean, they're 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 destined to end up with another very, very talented player with the fourth pick. Yeah, because before um, in the 2020 season, it was you know the the hashtag tank for Kumar, and then all the discussions about what the Pirates were going to do in last year's draft. And now it's it's kind of like having that discussion of. You know, who's going to be there and what's the approach that some of the other teams, you know, may take in front of them and possibly snatch a guy that the Pirates may be interested in? Yeah, I mean, I think most of the talk right now centers around Drew Jones. Drew Jones, for my money, uh, looks like a, you know, the surefire best player, best projection in this class. And for that reason, uh, you know, I don't think there's any chance that he makes it past the number two pick. But uh, truly, after that, it's a bit of a crapshoot. You know, I would say that there's probably seven or eight guys in play, maybe seven, eight, nine guys in play for picks two, three, and four. And I think, uh, like I said with that with that first statement, it doesn't really matter what happens at pick two and three. I think Pittsburgh is is in a position to really capitalize on their draft position. And uh, frankly. You know, with what they did in the 2021 draft and, uh, you know, they're they're really starting to click on the field right now. Uh, You kind of have to wonder, does Pittsburgh maybe think they're a little bit closer to a competitive window than than we previously thought? And if that's the case, you know, how realistic is it to, you know, look at some of these college bats now and say, uh, you know, maybe we maybe we start shooting for a competitive window in 2024. So I'm excited to see where they go. Uh, And, uh, you know, at this point, they've been attached to. Guy, you know, numerous players. So it really, really could go any any direction. Yeah, and and first before we get going on that, I, I kind of just want to touch on the number one pick there with the Baltimore Orioles, uh, Drew Jones. Uh, you have that, but then read down a little bit, and, and it's something that you know some people had even brought up just because the Orioles, you know, had gone uh, with Heston Kierstad before. And gone with that, you know, little bit of an underslot pick, you know, a la the the Pirates with, you know, a, a Henry Davis last year and saving their money for, you know, some of the other picks. So, I mean, Baltimore, I, I, I'm I'm kind of I shouldn't say I'm more excited for Baltimore's pick than the Pirates. I mean, I'm obviously excited for that, but but Baltimore has has gone in different directions before, so. Uh, when that one comes out, I, I think it could maybe set up, you know, somebody possibly falling to the Pirates or, you know, basically it could go the way that, that some other people are projecting it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I think if you're in Vegas right now, you just you take your money and you put it on Drew Jones. But um, if, if you're really looking to cash in, I think Brooks Lee and I think Cam Collier are both two really appealing names that have gotten some buzz of late with the number one pick. And, you know, I'm not really sure if it changes anything for, for Baltimore, because I think Baltimore probably has their eyes set on a specific player and they kind of have a feeling for who's going to be there with their pick. But, you know, you start rattling off some of these players and, you know, Elijah green and uh, Tamar Johnson, Jackson holiday, drew Jones, Brooks Lee, Cam Collier. I mean, I don't personally think you can take any one of those players and think this is going to be a mistake. So, um, 
yeah, I, I mean, I, I guess at the end of the day, it'll just kind of boil down to, um, you know, who Pittsburgh ends up taking and uh, the sort of statements that they say revolving that player. I mean, of course, I mean, everybody thinks of Elijah Green uh, because he is the son of our former, you know, tight end. And he was, if there was going to be a tank for anybody, it was probably going to be, you know, the call for the tank for Green. Uh, we have people that have been on the Jacob Berry bandwagon just because, I mean, even though I say it every, you do not draft for positional need, you draft for the best player. But people see, you know, Yoshi Tetsugo out there right now struggling, five foot ten Michael Chavis out there, and you see a a fairly polished, you know, college bat in in Jacob Berry and a first base outfield, and you kind of think, yeah, he could just kind of move through our our farm system pretty quick and be here and you know late 2024 early 2025 and and let's go we have our first baseman of the future i mean honestly i think barry's bat is is talented enough to be the first bat taken in this class to debut in the big leagues i I don't think it's entirely out of the question to see that bat end up in in you know pittsburgh or end up anywhere um as early as late 2023, to be totally frank with you. It's really polished. I don't know if it has the upside of some of the other bats in this class. Uh, you know, I don't know if he has the raw power that I think some of the people or, or some different evaluators have slapped onto him. But, you know, at the end of the day, it might be one of the only college bats in this class that has a shot to to hit 290 and, and run into, you know, 20 home runs a year. So in that regard, um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of value in safety. Yeah, and and I don't disagree with that. And you and you got me a little bit excited there when you said you know maybe 2023. And I was thought I was being optimistic with 2024, but that's why I go to the expert. That's why I go to you. And and one of the other players, uh, Brooks Lee, um, had been tied to the Pirates there for um, a little bit uh, in some of you know the mocks I'd seen out there and some of the discussions. And and in looking at him as a player and seeing that he you know played well in in uh, the Cape and he he kind of fits like that mold of a player that you know Ben Charrington we we kind of have in our mind that it's like okay a, a good college bat played well in the Cape with with the you know the wood bats and you know just kind of pen that in there as a Brooks Lee but like we talked about that could that could go to to Baltimore which could throw you know the draft uh, into a, not a tailspin, but just a little bit off of you know what some people are thinking. But either way, like you said, there's you know a bunch of players that that could be exciting for the Pirates. Yeah, and I mean even further down the board than that, uh, I, I think Pittsburgh is probably going to end up with someone that's fairly chalk. But you look at you know you look at Bruce Lee, and there, there's always every single year there's a move, there's a guy. There's a player that falls that we didn't expect to find. I mean, Brady House last year fall into the 10th pick. I think a lot of people kind of had him penciled in picks five through six. Kamal Rocker fall into pick 10. I, I mean, those guys fall every single year. And I think in a year like 2022 where there's so much, there's so many, so many big blocks of players that are unseparable. Uh, I mean, I would say picks, you know, for my money, two through seven you can make a case for any one of those players to go number two. And I think after that, I, I think eight through 25, you could make a case for any of those players going uh, number eight. So I think this is really going to be a pretty chaotic year. And genuinely, I think 
you know, the Royals pick at seven. Nobody knows what the Royals are going to do. Uh, I, I think there could be, I know this goes way beyond Pittsburgh, but I think there could be some really, really interesting players on the board in the twenties. And I think maybe the more interesting, uh, you know, thing to watch here is who's going to be available for Pittsburgh at, I think it's 33. I mean, there could be some really, really good college and high school arms available at that spot. And I also think, you know, if Pittsburgh's in the position and in the market for a, for a college bat, uh, you know, there's college bats that are going to fall into that range too. So I, I think really that's where the, the intrigue and the value lies this year. Yeah, and, and let's get into that. I mean, I, I talked about you created a buzz, and then I, I kind of buried the lead a little bit there. Um, you, you had put out there, you know, as the, the number four pick for the Pirates in uh, your, you know, number four uh, version of the mock draft, uh, Cam Collier moving up the ranks a little bit. Uh, tell tell the Pirates fans a little bit about Cam Collier. Yeah, I mean, he's effortless. Everything that he does on the baseball field is, is really smooth. It's very effortless. Um, he's 17 years old. Uh, he reclassified into the junior college ranks during his senior high school season, so uh, so he could be draft eligible after his junior year of college, uh, or of, of, of high school, I should say. So he's a year younger than every high schooler in this class. Um you're talking about a guy that uses all fields. Um, he's performed at the JUCO level. He's put in like 40 at-bats uh, in the Cape Cod League, and he performed well there. Um, so I think what you're talking about at the pro level, once I mean, this kid's not going to be in the bigs until 2025, 2026, I would, I would think. But I think it's a big, strong frame, hit over power right now, but I think he's still kind of learning how to use his strength. Uh, I, I think ultimately this is going to be a kid that, you know, hits 270, hits 280. He's a line drive kid, plays all over the uh, line drives all over the field. Um, I think the biggest question with Cam Collier right now is going to be how much of that power is he going to tap into? Because some think that he could hit 30 home runs. Some think that, uh, you know, he's only going to be a guy that only ever hits 12 to 15 home runs um, just because he would rather go the other way with the ball than, you know, turn and burn. Uh, and then the other question with Cam is, you know, at 17, he's he's already six foot one, 210 pounds. He's muscled up. He's really strong. Lower half is is really sturdy. Uh, there's questions whether or not he's going to stay at third base. I think he's going to be fine at third base um, because he's certainly got the arm and he's a good athlete. So uh, I think what you're buying is immense upside. Uh, you're buying a whole lot of polish at the plate for a 17 year old, which is pretty rare. And five years from now, when we might be talking about Cam Collier as the best hitter that came out of the 2022 draft. Go follow Joe for his coverage. It's Joe Doyle, M-I-L-B on Twitter and at Prospects Live. Joe, thanks for jumping back on, brother. Can't wait to talk soon. All right, man. We'll see you. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing but thing.